1: So truly, it was the physical pain that was turning into suffering. I'll just wrap on this concept since we just kind of talked about it for a second, because I think it'll help bring this to clarity, right? Like one of my core concepts is the idea of embracing pain to avoid suffering in our life, right? So this is something that I learned very early with everything that I went through in the first five years. I learned to embrace pain to avoid suffering, right? The idea of growing up without the use of my arm was a source of great potential suffering for my parents and for me. And so I had to embrace the pains required to move through that process, do the OT, do the surgeries. So I think it was ingrained in me, truthfully. But by the time I got to this point, like what this is, the world tells us to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain. That's just what we hear all day long. And it makes sense because it's a natural evolutionary response to survival. Like fight or flight is literally ingrained in us to survive. A hundred years ago, you cut your leg, you could die. But that's not the world we live in today. So we need to redefine what pain actually is, right? So if we look at pain, pain is defined as short-term, intermittent, direct cause from something and alleviated once that direct cause is removed. And then we, like we do with everything else as humans, we put adjectives in front of it and change the definition and screw it up completely because we then put acute and chronic. Well, acute maintains the definition, so that one's fine, but chronic inherently changes it because it implies that it's no longer short-term and it persists after the direct cause of your mind.
0: Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. Ladies and gentlemen, you better buckle up because we've got Brian Bogart in the room with me today. Brian, how are you, my friend?
1: Man, I'm good, hanging out with you. How could it be a bad day?
0: Look, man, I've been following, lurking in the interwebs, and I've seen you pop up in a bunch of different places here lately. You're talking about some really cool projects that I'm really curious about we do things really unconventional here. Listeners are going to love what you have to say. How can they get in contact with you?
1: If they're social media folks, they can follow me at Bogert Brian on pretty much any of the platforms, or you can always go to brianbogert.com. I always spell that. It's B-R-I-A-N-B-O-G-E-R-T, not A-R-T. It's E-R-T-B-O-G-E-R-T. That way you will find us. And yeah, there's ways to get in contact with us through all those platforms, but you'll see there's a lot of free content out there as well.
0: Ton of content, true go-giver, ladies and gentlemen. You've got a really amazing story, and I don't believe everybody in my community has been introduced to you before. And so you just came out of a store, had an amazing shopping trip, and your life changes forever. And so I'm setting the context, but I'm going to let you tell the story.
1: Yeah. So since you did that, I'm going to take a slightly different intro, right? So that's truly what happened. We walked out of the store. I was getting up to the car. And my mom was three, four feet behind me. This was back in the days with key fobs or before key fobs. So I had to wait for her to literally fumble in her purse, get the keys out, get in the door so we could go on with our way. And as I was standing there waiting for her, there was a truck that pulls up in front of the store we just came out of. And the driver in the middle passenger get out, passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So Jeremy did what any one of us would do, speed over to put foot on the brake. Right. He ramped his foot up, getting ready to slam down on the brake, but he missed. He hit the gas. So all that force went directly into the gas pedal and lit up the engine. And before you know it, he's not only thrown up on the dashboard and up on the steering wheel, he's catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at us with no time for us to react. We were in an end spot. He goes up under the median, hits the key or tree in the median, goes over over that, goes over our car, knocks me over, runs over me diagonally, tearing my spleen, leaving a tire tracks on my stomach and continuing on to sever my left arm completely from my body. So this was August 10th, 1992, 115 degree day. There I am laying on the parking lot. My mom and brother watched the whole thing happen. They look up and they see my arm laying 10 feet away. Fortunately for me, my guardian angel also saw the whole thing happen. See, there was a nurse that walked out of the store right at the same time, and she saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her. And I'm forever indebted to this woman for choosing to turn into action versus going on with her day. She came over and she put her hands on the main wound and stopped the bleeding and saved my life. And then she instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, fill it with ice, and get my detached limb on ice within minutes to give me a fighting chance of having a limb reattached. Had it not been for this woman, Jerome, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. That's just the reality. And so what I know, right, whether your audience has been introduced to me or not at this point, as many people probably still weren't expecting it to go there. Right. I know that I've got a super unique story. But what we also know and what I've learned in all my time doing this is that every single one of us has a super unique story. What's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from our stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. And we also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. So that's a little bit about my story. I'm sure we'll get into some of the lessons here in a minute, but man, that's I'm sure the story you were hoping to share.
0: Yeah. And so... Life changes. I assume there's tons of physical and occupational therapy and transformation. It was really interesting. I was listening to, I don't know whose show you were on, but you were talking about the bend in your back and the importance of staying lean. So let's talk a little bit about, well, what does this actually mean for you from a practical standpoint for living your daily life?
1: Yeah. So you hit it on the head. There was a lot of physical occupational therapy. I had 24 surgeries over the course of five years. So just like unceasing medical treatments were there. One of the things that I've talked about a lot is one of my primary lessons in life, which is this concept of embracing pain to avoid suffering. And so that's probably how you heard me talking about that as it relates to like my everyday life, because what I've had to learn to do is truly to understand and acknowledge the suffering in my world, identify the pains I need to attend to avoid and learn to embrace them. And then do this as a habit, And what it's transferred into is really the way I have to live my life because I am in constant physical pain. I have an imbalance in my body. I don't have a lat in the left side of my back because they took all of it for filler muscle. I don't have a tricep in my left arm and my bicep is my gracilis from my leg. And so I have literal physical and structural imbalance in my body. And I have a, I'm not going to sit here being like, oh, I'm this beefed up, jacked up guy, but I have a thicker build naturally big bone structures, like stronger muscles. And when I lift, I put on muscles. So anything that I do creates a further imbalance in my body. About 15 years ago, I started to realize the pain that I lived in on a daily basis was moving into suffering. And what I meant at that time was that it was actually impacting my quality of life because it was debilitating and was affecting my ability to show up. And so I realized that if I stayed lean I kept my core strong. I kept regular movement in place that I could mitigate most of that suffering to just a daily manageable pain. What I found is that over the course of every five to seven years, my body and my spinal decompression outpaces my daily routine. So I have to modify and refine this process of embracing pain daily so that I continue to make sure I can operate. Went through one of these periods recently, right? So what does that look like for me? I have about a a two-hour-a-day body routine. When I say body routine, I call it body work because it's any combination of inversion tables to theragunning to myofascial release to stretching to yoga to truly focused breathing and meditation to loosen up particular parts of my body. I have a routine every single morning that I have to go to to just get moving. But when I started and what you've heard me talk about in the past is that I had to realize like I needed to go through the process of understanding how to embrace this pain. So I started originally with just joining a gym and I went consistently for 30 days and then I stopped going and I had to ask myself that question, right? I had one additional question I had to answer because I knew at that moment what suffering looked like. I already knew the pain was debilitating. So I had to ask myself, is it the pain of working out, the pain of lifting weights, the pain of plyometrics, the pain of stretching that I'm avoiding, or is it the anxiety of getting a crowded gym? And for me, it was definitive. I stopped going because that was not my environment for success. I got too much anxiety. And so the reason I talk about that story is so clear is because we talked about how people get stuck in life, not because of the wrong strategy or tactics, yet that's exactly what they try to fill it with. So when people get stuck, they search new strategy and tactics. What seven-step system can I make myself successful with today? How do I follow your three-step platform to make sure that I can become a brand that's recognizable, right? Like all these things that at the end of the day, like really are just way complicated and don't work in like a rinse and repeat format because what works for Jerome isn't what's going to work for Brian. And so in this case, I had to ask myself that question because what I know is that it's not strategy and tactics. Although those are important in life and they are going to get us so far, that's not what keeps us stuck. What keeps us stuck is typically a combination of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning. And so what that was truly is the anxiety was an envi- it was an emotional trigger that was based on the environment and the pattern that I had led forward in my life. And so the only way to break free of that pattern was for me to truly understand that so I could move through it.
0: Breaking the pattern, the pattern interrupts. So what happened that forced you or caused you to actually take the point of reflection when you stopped going to the gym? Because usually when we're avoiding pain, we just continue to avoid it until something snatches us out of that Mm -hmm. avoidant behavior. So what was it for you? Was it just the pain?
1: So truly, it was the physical pain that was turning into suffering. I'll just wrap on this concept since we just kind of talked about it for a second, because I think it'll help bring this to clarity, right? Like one of my core concepts is the idea of embracing pain to avoid suffering in our life, right? So this is something that I learned very early with everything that I went through in the first five years. I learned to embrace pain to avoid suffering, right? The idea of growing up without the use of my arm was a source of great potential suffering for my parents and for me. And so I had to embrace the pains required to move through that process, do the OT, do the surgeries. So I think it was ingrained in me, truthfully. But by the time I got to this point, like what this is, the world tells us to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain. That's just what we hear all day long. And it makes sense because it's a natural evolutionary response to survival. Like fight or flight is literally ingrained in us to survive. A hundred years ago, you cut your leg, you could die. But that's not the world we live in today. We need to redefine what pain actually is, right? So if we look at pain, pain is defined as short-term, intermittent, direct cause from something and alleviated once that direct cause is removed. And then we, like we do with everything else as humans, we put adjectives in front of it and change the definition and screw it up completely because we then put acute and chronic. Well, acute maintains the definition, so that one's fine, but chronic inherently changes it because it implies that it's no longer short-term and it persists after the direct causes are removed. So let's stop calling that chronic pain. Let's call it what it really is, suffering. Now, we don't want to admit that suffering exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. And the thing about suffering is often it creeps up on us because we adapt to it slowly over time, sometimes until its effects are irreversible. So the answer to this question is truly, I understand why pain gets attention, because it hurts. It's real time. It's there. It gets our attention. So we have to focus on the pain or avoid it, whereas suffering creeps up on us. Now, the first step in understanding this concept is to understand that we need to acknowledge the suffering we wish to avoid. I told you I already was experiencing suffering. It was debilitating. My quality of life was gone. So what caused me to ask that additional question was I knew what would happen if I didn't embrace different pains to get this suffering under control. I believe brother, like we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. So as I look at it, I want influence and control over my destiny, which means I get to have active choice in what that looks like.
0: Okay. So you're a take control control guy and we're going to go back to the parking lot and that could have been the reason why you did nothing else, but you chose a very different path. So from the point of being in the parking lot to You and I sitting here today, you've had a pretty amazing ride, one that you don't tell most people about because of what I've heard you call shame in some points. And so I want to unpack that a little bit and really dig in on this process that you've been on of making your dreams a reality, because I don't know how else you could possibly characterize it.
1: That's I you just gave me chills. I haven't ever characterized it in that description, but obviously I'm here on your show. So it makes sense that making your dreams a reality is the way you'd coin it. And it's beautiful. Yeah, so there's a lot to the journey. You've consumed, a, I know you've consumed a lot of different content over the years. We've also had a lot of conversations. So it's probably certain places that you want to take it. You probably know things that maybe I haven't taken it before. So I'm happy to start with just understanding the role that Shane played in my world and helping define what that is. And then from there, if you want, I'll either freestyle it or you can tell me where you want to go because nothing's off limits.
0: Yeah. The freestyle is amazing just because it shows up most authentic for me. And you're a real person. And that's something that you and I have talked about at length. It's the desire to only have real people around us instead of those who are posturing and being pomp for the sake of being able to charge a larger fee. And so let's talk about the shame and then how that's shown up while you've been turning these things over and over again.
1: hundred percent. Perfect. So I have been impacted by shame for a long time and I didn't realize it until probably five or six years ago. And I didn't realize it because I didn't identify with the normal narrative around shame. The normal narrative around shame is I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'd be lying if I said I never had those moments in my life. I have. We all have, right? That's not been the predominant thing in my world. I've not really struggled with confidence much in my life. I've had moments, right? Absolutely. But see, what I learned is that shame is the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing because it presents itself as many other emotions, right? It truly does. It blinds itself as perfectionism, defensiveness, scarcity, literally shame and guilt. It shows up as fear. It shows up in multiple different ways that impact us. And so we have a really hard time like calibrating the fact that it's shame. Brene Brown outlined in one of her books, a very simple way for me to look at it is that there's really two talks to shame and anything that's in between. But shame literally traps us in this box because on one side it's, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. On the other side, it's when you shut this down, you show up in the arena, you're ready to go to battle. It's who do you think you are? You say that I've lived a really amazing ride and, and dude, I have, but the world doesn't know about 90% of it and they may never, right? And that's okay. And the reason is because everything major I've ever done in my life, I felt the need to apologize. for it. I've literally pulled the throttle back. And I always do this in a, the only way I can visualize it is as I'm like driving a boat, pulled the throttle back, but, or the plane or however you want to do it. It's like, I'm pulling it with my hand, but I pulled the throttle back on my life because the bigger I lived, the worse I felt about myself. Because I was actually putting myself in a position to constantly be perpetuating my own shame because the more I lived big, the more I felt like I was actually making other people feel badly about themselves because of my own actions.
0: But you can't do that, right? Because it's their interpretation of what's happening in your world. But I didn't
1: understand that yet, right? And I'd like created like this whole narrative in my life that was just so focused on protecting myself because when I'm seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, Imagine this. And this is one of my roots of shame. My other roots of shame, I don't talk about. Those are mine and I don't need to share them. I know I've done the work, but one of them is just this. Every time I would walk around as a kid, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old in a sling, and parents or adults would ask me, What happened to your arm? Right? They're expecting, Oh, I fell off a jungle gym or I crashed my bike or some like broken arm story. And I'd look at them deadpan in the face and say, I was run over by a truck and my arm was torn off." Now I got really used to seeing like, jaws hit the floor. And then the next thing I got very really used to seeing is the immediate pivot from looking directly at me to looking at my parents for validation that my story that I just told them was even true. Literally everything about my story, my own story, I had to defend because the world didn't believe this audacious story about a kid getting run over and his arm ripped off. Well, guess what? That's what I'm living. And then immediately I was positioned as soon as my parents validated it into like, I'm all of a sudden put into the victim position because they are viewing me through what they believe they'd be capable of in my situation. (laughs) So immediately I'm being handicapped by the outside world when I didn't view myself that way. So I truly created a narrative that I'm good, I'm strong, I'm capable, I can do anything by myself and I don't need anybody's help. Because at that moment, I started to learn, I couldn't, the world didn't even believe me on my own story. So why do I have to fight to justify it? I'll just build a wall around myself unintentionally. I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but build my wall and I'm just, I'm going to go handle life myself. Right? So think about that. Like everything major I ever did, the world was already expecting me not to be able to do. And then when I do it, it's always, I felt I needed to apologize for it. So there's all these dynamics that like led into this that just perpetuated over time, right? And to the point where it's, I didn't, and I lost who I was because I chased the what's of the world, right? I started to chase what would make me look successful. What would make me fit the mold? What would make me acceptable to the outside world? Well, if I drive nice cars, if I make a lot of money, if I grow and scale businesses, if I do great philanthropic work and raise hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of years, if I do all these things, and these are the things that are gonna make the world make me acceptable, guess what? The more I chased the what's of the world, what house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success, the more I lost who I was. The more I lost who I was, who I authentically was on the inside, because I allowed the shoulds of the world to shape who I was at that moment. And it wasn't until I woke up one day in my late 20s, having scaled a successful business, running in circles with people, making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures in some cases, and realizing that all of us were miserable
0: because we lost who
1: we were. Whoa.
0: They were miserable. We, you said we were miserable. Oh, yeah. Big time. How can that possibly be? You have everything, Brian.
1: Because when you chase the what's, you lose who you are. And nothing in this world matters if it doesn't start with who you are. And so at the end of the day, right, the basic hierarchy and the way I view my world is are you clear on who you are? Are you clear on who you're doing this for? And are you clear on who you're trying to impact? If we overly simplify into, Focusing on who, then what we realize is that when we focus on who we are and those things, then all the whats in our world become a manifestation of who we are. Wait, not the
0: wait, other way that's, around. That's selfish, right? Focus it's on actually ourselves. the least selfish
1: thing we can do. But that's the narratives of the world, right? Narratives of the world are like, don't focus on yourself. Don't pay attention. Shove that emotion down. Nobody gives a shit how you feel, no, right? Nobody. When I shut off physical pain, I shut off emotional pain for thirty years, and I didn't realize it. Almost thirty years of my life, I was numb unintentionally, because the demands of my environment exceeded my ability to cope. So what happened? I shut off for survival. Focused on human connection, vulnerability and authenticity, which is the glue that binds human connection. Guess what? Human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. So I'm chasing all these things, again, truly from a strategic and tactical standpoint. But again, emotion was missing. That's really the key component that binds all of us. But think about it. We all, as human experience, desire four basic things, at least in the way I see it. Okay? We all desire to feel safe. We all desire to feel protected. Those are not the same things. We all desire to feel seen and understood. And we all desire to feel connected. These first three are critical for the fourth to even exist, for us to connect, which we all desire. If we don't feel safe, protected, seen, and understood, we never let our walls down enough to actually allow ourselves to connect in an authentic way. But what do the narratives of the world tell us? You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should be this. You shouldn't be that. You should chase that amount of money. You shouldn't chase that amount of money. You should drive that car. <laughs> you should not drive that car. You should date that woman or male. You shouldn't date those. No, definitely don't, li- don't date those. You should live in that zip code, but definitely not the one right next to it. Right? And so all we do literally is we get funneled from the time that we're our most authentic, burning bright, burning light of who we are as kids. Parents, teachers, coaches, employers, the world literally funnels us down this path based on should Till at some point we're fucking trapped and just an empty vessel of who we once were. And so it's not until we start shedding the layers that the world has put on top of us that we start to align and actually recognize that who we are is actually good enough. Who we are is actually perfect. And we need to remind ourselves who we were before the world told us who to be. And so, so much of what I'm focused on right now is the fact that for the last period of time, we've been in the era of what? We've been in the era of profit. We've lost sight of what's truly important. We've lost sight of the fact that everything we do on this planet involves people. But it's all about fucking profit. If we drive profit, then we're good. That's how we live a good world. You know what profit is damn important. I'm never going to ever shame making a ton of money, growing successful businesses, but not at the expense of people. I won't do it. And so, we're in a process of really helping people recognize that it's it's not what's and profits that are bad, it's about where they rank in priority. So I want to close out the era of what, the era of profit, and I want to usher in the era of who, the era of people so that we can focus on who before what and people before profits again i didn't say not what not profits i said before before because if we focus there the other two are just inevitable
0: what's up tribe it's your host jerome i just want to let you know that we put together a free 15 point checklist for exiting the matrix jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up let's get back to the show outcome. It's imminent. So your focus, tell me about the new project, right? The who stories, tell me how all of this is actually manifesting and coming out to impact a billion people that you actually want to touch on the face yeah. of this planet.
1: So right now we've got kind of four verticals. Everything's related to the who. Okay. And so I'll, I'll, break down the first three and then we'll hit who stories. Cause this is the one I'm really excited about right now too. I'm, I'm excited about all, but this one is going to be a really fun, rewarding, massive project. Everything we do in our world is is based around the who. Again, it's helping people discover who they are, determine who they're doing this for, and determine and reach who they want to impact. Okay, so our coaching, speaking courses over here, these are all in the who. I will never sell somebody in the personal development world. If somebody's not ready to invest in themselves, I'm not here to convince them to do so. And we don't want people dependent on us. We want to elevate and empower them with tools and resources. So at the end of the day, if they don't see value in it, I'm good, go. But what this is designed to do is help people discover who they are, and who they're doing this for and just have ultimate clarity in building their life in alignment. We have a, a middle, we have two middle entities that are really about demonstrating who we are to the world and attracting who we want into our world, one in a very laser focused and one in a shotgun approach. The laser focus is through systems really around leveraging technology and automating the way to demonstrate who we are to the world authentically and attracting who we want to impact into our world in a one-to-one capacity. Right now it's very targeted on LinkedIn, and we're converting 20 to 25% higher on cold invites. Because we're actually starting conversations as an introduction to build a relationship versus cold spamming people just to sell, which is happening at massive amounts on LinkedIn. And at the end of the day, if we focus on people and relationships, we determine if and how we can help, not the other way around. So this is the one-to-one approach. We've got, and that's called Convo Kong. We've got Pod Kong that's over here. It's really more of a PR arm that's leveraging podcasts in a really unique way. We're literally flipping the game on its head, focusing on not booking number of shows, but helping guests get on things as it relates to number of downloads, doing rev shares with podcast hosts. And we're in a beta phase on this right now, which is really just changing the game and a lot of interest to, to capitalize on that. But that's demonstrating who we are in a broad form, evergreen platform and attracting people to who we want to impact in a broad form, evergreen platform, right? So we're all the way across the spectrum. The one to the right is really where we take this concept mainstream. Whose stories is literally the ability to tell the whose stories of the who's of the world in the way that it has never been done in a way that PR hasn't allowed and the stuff that we haven't talked about, the struggle, the rawness of life that has shaped these human beings, not the well-crafted message that the world has heard 50 times. So we've got a very specific target list. we filmed four already. Very excited about this, but this is going to be a big project. I'm not going to go with all the direction that's it's heading, but we've got a very aggressive list on who those first top 20 will be, a number of verbal commitments already in place. And we're in the process right now of, of finalizing a couple of sponsors who are going to fund this first platform, but this is going to be a vehicle to allow you to build a brand, demonstrate who you are to the world, but also to normalize and humanize the who's of the world in a format that their truths can give others permission to live theirs.
0: And so are you digging into who they were before all of the, what that makes people interested in, finding out about them
1: we're digging into things like shame like abandonment like abuse like alcoholism like damage created in their lives that the world never saw despite the fact that they were up at the top right there are things that the world never sees that shape who these people are and when we can literally bring down the armor because what we're able to create through our whole experience that leads weeks into the actual filming and a 48 hour experience that's designed to really move them by the time they sit on that couch magic has happened every time someone sits down because they're ready to tell their story because here's the thing we even look at it from a suffering perspective i believe the root of all suffering is rooted in a couple of things the things that are left unsaid the things that we don't feel we have the permission or the words to say the things we don't know how to articulate or the things that are left undone. So why this becomes such a transformational experience is the last person who sat on the couch said that they've been waiting for this moment to be able to tell the world the truth for a decade, but they didn't have a platform that they trusted that wasn't gonna be using it in a manipulative way to tear them down, but to use their story as a platform to build them up. At the end of the day, on on suffering, it's the things that are left unsaid, the things that we don't feel we have permission to say, or the words to say, the things that we don't know even how to articulate because we don't know what we're feeling or the things that are left undone.
0: The root of of most
1: suffering is rooted in all four. That's my belief.
0: I'm with you completely. And I I needed you to say it again because I wanted to make sure that the dots that I connected were accurate. And so when we feel trapped, we're in suffering. And that's literally what those four things are. We are trapped. We can't finish it. We are here, held hostage in this place, and there is no way for us to get out. And because of that, we suffer. And I'm sorry, I cut you off in this sentence, but literally that right there is going to free somebody because they are sitting there trying to figure out how to get out of it. And sometimes it's just say it right. Think about it in anything in life,
1: right? Like I'll give two examples real time so that people can see this is true in everything in life. You have a disagreement with a spouse, right? And if you focus on being detached so that you can focus on getting it right versus being right, recognize that whatever interaction happened with your spouse probably hit on emotional triggers for both of you that caused both of your walls to go up that triggered some deeper emotion that created this pattern of conversation between the two of you. When in reality, like you might feel this tension because you believe intellectually based on your prior experiences that your partner or spouse is operating this way because of X reason. And it just eats it. You've got resentment and fear and anger bubbling up inside of you. And and if you don't talk about it, not from a place to create damage and tear this person down, but if you don't talk about like your feelings, guess what? More suffering exists, more divide between these two, and the more those patterns get perpetuated and you're separated further and further apart because of one thing that was left unsaid just to get clarification on what were you actually asking me, right? So for example, my own shame would show up in my house and my wife would ask a question like, hey, do you have plans to hang out with the kids this weekend? Totally innocent, neutral question, but my shame used to hear that through a shame filter. Being a husband and father is one of my most important roles on this planet. So when I hear a question like that, I, my shame gets triggered, which makes me defensive, which makes me a little bit angry because what I heard her say is you haven't done enough to be a good husband and father recently. So I react and list the 10 things that I've done in the last four days to demonstrate I'm a good husband and father. When in reality, that had nothing to do with what she was asking. So had I taken a moment, Hey, I'm feeling a little triggered by what you asked. Are you implying that I haven't been around enough? or Are you just simply asking if like we've got plans to do something this weekend? Again, that was left unsaid, but instead I reacted and then I made her pull further away because I pushed her away. Look at that in a professional setting, right? Same thing, is true. You get into a conflict, maybe about a revenue split with a business partner. And, and it could have been a completely innocent thing because you've got this conflict, you perceive you're getting screwed over and you don't actually talk about it and then actually go to your partner and say, hey, I thought we had this agreement. How come you're you know taking... A larger percentage happened on this deal. Can we talk about it? I felt like we were here. Then you have an opportunity to resolve, refine, better understand, gather perspectives, gather variables to better understand, are my emotions valid or am I reacting on something that's not there? And oh, by the way, they may have already entered into the system to be a 50-50 split, but in your head, you somewhat different. Like we don't often take the time to say what we're feeling because we're afraid of how the other person will react or we're afraid of creating more damage. But what I can guarantee is what we're holding back is the very thing that's creating. It.
0: So, all right, you just drop massive value on us. And I just want to simplify it. Why are we scared of the clarifying question, Brian?
1: Because we've never been in an environment where we felt safe, protected, seen, understood, and connected. And so we're conditioned to believe that what we have to say and what we feel isn't good enough. That's just what happens in the world, right? How many times do we have emotions as a kid that when you and I were grump, especially, and it's, what we'd hear is stop crying. All that tells us is that what we're feeling isn't valid, right? How many times, that, like, how many times have we like, wanted to vocalize something and it's been dismissed in a certain environment either because we didn't have the credibility, we didn't have the relevance, or there's just some posturing that takes place. And so even if we bring the best idea to the table, we get shut down because the leader's threatened by us. What does that do? It causes us to feel like what we have to say isn't really good enough because if the leader that we admire, who's 20 years our senior, right, doesn't actually put valid validity on it, then why would it be good enough for me to stand up on my own? We're also afraid of further damage. What if I say how I really feel? And guess what? I might have a really strong attachment to my wife. And if I actually tell her how I really feel and I show that vulnerable side of me, will she actually still want to be with me or will she see a side of me that maybe isn't good enough? And now all of a sudden I'm not going to be able to be attached to the one thing that I care most about.
0: Oh, We
1: literally protect ourselves in so many different ways because of our fear of what the fucking world is going to do to us or how people are going to react. But again, we're fabricating a reality that doesn't exist. And true strength actually hides behind vulnerability. That's what most people don't understand. That armor that we're carrying around with us thinking that we're protecting ourselves, guess what? It gets heavier the longer we carry it it no longer protects us. What it actually does is weakens us. It makes us more fatigued and it starts crushing us intermittently over time because it just gets heavier and heavier. Think about taking two 10 pound dumbbells, hold them out in front of you. How long can you hold them before you are absolutely dying in your shoulders? Guess what? When you're carrying armor around thinking that you can't be vulnerable, it's no fucking different. It's just that we don't look at it as a physical pain, but it's emotional pain. We feel it. We feel it. We feel that energy. We feel the resistance. We feel the gap between where we want to be and where we actually are. We feel every single time we don't say something that we actually want to say. And every time we do that, we silence our own voice even more. I'm not talking about being an unfiltered, aggressive version of ourselves. What I'm talking about is stopping the pattern of reacting and giving ourselves the tools so that we can respond. Because when we react, we create damage. When we respond, we can repair.
0: Okay. Let's go back a little bit and then we're going to come back to the respond versus react because that is a key point for me. My feelings don't matter. I'm hearing that happen a lot or the person responding in a way where I'm asking the question, right? Coaching client. Hey, what's going on? Oh, well, I'm sorry for expressing how I felt about that situation that was happening in my life. Ah, what are you apologizing for? Oh, well, who taught you that? And why did you accept that your feelings don't matter? You can't express how you feel. Why do we need to be the, this feelingless emotionless robot? Why is that the way of the world?
1: Look, I think that people are afraid of what they don't understand. And so they perpetuate messages from the world that allow people to fit in boxes that they can understand. Like I, at the end of the day, like. That's I genuinely believe that so much of this is us seeking to feel safe and protected.
0: So that's the third time that's come up. What's the difference between safe and protected?
1: I can feel safe in my environment right now, but that doesn't mean that anybody's actually looking out to protect me. I can be safe in this environment and know that Jerome is actually watching my back and protecting me on top of my own safety that I've created for myself. So you can't be truly vulnerable unless you feel safe as well as protected right so like when you love someone right like you can care about somebody and that to me is giving them an environment where they can feel safe when you care for somebody all of a sudden they feel protected and cared for they're different i can create my own safety i can't create my own protection what i do when i create my own protection is actually create more walls that keep me from actually connecting
0: to keep everybody out you got to keep the villains out of the castle right you got to build the moat
1: right so Look at my chief of staff. I'll just use her as an example, okay? I can create an environment for her to feel safe internally. I can also make her feel protected internally. But where it really matters for her is when she feels protected externally. Meaning she has an opinion, she feels a certain way, she reads something about someone else, or she is put into a position where she has to defend herself on behalf of the company. You better damn well believe that I'm gonna be right behind her protecting her. Right, So she, as chief of staff, is going to represent me in certain conversations, some difficult conversations, which in her own world she might feel unsafe to do or unprotected to do because of the way she's been conditioned to operate in the world as a young female. Right? Well, she's vicious, and I mean that in a loving way. She's an assassin in what she does and her ability to see things clearly, and her judgment is spot on. So to empower her to go into those things, I have to let her know, hey, I want you to lead this discussion But if it blows up, I'm right there to pick up the pieces. I'll reinforce your message. Now, she doesn't have to worry about, am I safe? Am I protected? She knows that I've got her back no matter what. So she now no longer has to worry about representing the company in a certain way and how that might appear from a failure standpoint, because she knows I've got her back. So she not only feels safe internally and externally, but she also feels protected because she knows I've got her back.
0: So for the person that doesn't have that, Through natural relationships, what do you say to them?
1: I think it's a matter of asking yourself the question first. Are you creating an environment for those around you, for them to feel safe and protected, seen and understood and connected? Because I think so often it begins and ends with you. And so for the people who feel like they don't have that in their world, ask if you're providing that into your world and into the world of the people that you care about. And if you're not, then that's the first place to start because you can change the patterns based on the variable of you showing up differently. The equation looks different. So if you just assume life is equal, like X plus Y equals Z, the relationship is X plus Y, X is me, Y is my wife, Z is the outcome of our relationship together, right? Guess what? If X changes, that equation no longer works. So the only way to equalize the equation is if the other person starts to actually turn into that, which only happens over time, consistency, and trust. But for me to unpack the fact that recently I discovered that I was angry for a very long time and didn't even see it because it was buried so deep it could barely be excavated. I had to recognize that a lot of the triggers that bothered me about where I got triggered with my wife were actually spawned by me showing up with an energy and an edge. So all of a sudden when mine goes away, her patterning and still conditions, guess what? Our equation doesn't work anymore. I've got to eat it for three or four months because I was the one in the root that caused so much of the patterning in the first place. So I've got to eat it and suck up my ego and recognize that all of this truly started with me 10, 12, 14 years ago. Not all of it, but a lot of her reactions were caused by me. So when I change, she's going to change, but expect the same response. I have to give it space and time so that her walls start to come down so that we then neutralize and equalize each other so that X plus Y actually equals Z still. Like, we yeah. overcomplicate this stuff.
0: Well, I don't know if we do. I think we're just unaware, right? So, Well, I, I that's,
1: by the way, a fact. I love, yes, you're right.
0: I changed, so I want the world to change immediately because I think it's a mirror, but it's not actually a mirror per se, even though a lot of people talk about the world as your mirror, there's lag. So I'm going that's to this new brilliant. place, you see me going to that new place, but you've got anecdotal data that's not what you should expect from me from a predictability standpoint and so it's really hard for you to trust what you see because it's different from you're spot on what you know
1: you're spot on and so what happens in that is you can easily revert back into old cycles if you don't remain in a place of conscious awareness because what will happen in those cases is intellectually we understand that someone has evolved and changed But emotionally, we're still experiencing it the same way. Because when we get triggered, it makes us hold on to this narrative and belief that, oh, when Brian shows up this way, he's going to react. Or when I say this to Brian, he's going to react, which means I'm going to change my behavior because I'm expecting a reaction. Intellectually, I know that over the last five months, he's chosen to respond and there hasn't been damage created. But emotionally, I'm feeling triggered right now. And the hardest gap to close is the 18 inches between our intellect and our emotion, our mind and our heart. That 18-inch journey from our head to our heart That's genuinely one of the hardest things to close. But when we feel resistance and energy drain, it's often because of a misalignment between our intellectual and emotional narratives. I'm not telling you which one is true, but what I'm telling you is that the peak performers on the planet are the ones that understand where they're initially hardwired to receive things intellectually or emotionally first, and then to pay attention from an awareness standpoint on what their intellectual and emotional narrative are, and then balance and regulate between the two to understand which one is true in this moment.
0: And so when they're bracing for it, they're, they're creating safety. Yeah, weird, right?
1: Isn't that funny how it all comes full circle? (laughs) Trying to protect themselves so they can feel safe.
0: Mm. Brian, I I could go on for another hour, brother, but I think we're going to have to split into another episode. I always wrap up the podcast with a few questions, but I'm just going to ask you the last one. What's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this conversation?
1: Who you are is perfect. That's it if everybody could just understand that who they are is literally perfect, that doesn't mean that what you do, how you've shown up has been perfect, but who you already are, your most authentic self is perfect. Meaning your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your reactions, the way you operate in the world, your own worldview, the way that you see and feel things from a sensory perspective, from an interactive perspective is perfect because it's you. And there's only one of you. Why would you break that?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Brian has just given you, I think the key that unlocks everything that you want in life, your ability to go in and really reflect and to one, see who you are, define who you're going to be is the difference between what you have and what you want. If there's something that isn't there for you, your dreams should be real until the next time. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.